Welcome everybody to a new episode of Need Some Introduction. In today's episode, I will be breaking down Season 6, Episode 4 of Better Call Saul, Hit and Run. Before that, a pretty long conversation I had with Sona catching up on her reaction to last week's very eventful Episode number three, Rock in a Hard Place. So if you're here just for the new episode breakdown, jump ahead. This is a pretty long segment, about 45 minutes, but it was a very good conversation. And we actually touch on some general thoughts about the show as well that I found very interesting. So I hope you enjoy that conversation. Also a reminder that on Wednesday, we'll be doing a breakdown of the season finale of Moon Knight. If you have been going week to week on that one, I've been somewhat unsatisfied with the show, but They did leave things in a very interesting place last week, so I am curious to see how they try to wrap up this season of television. Also, later this week, there will be a lot of content. I had a special episode last week where I had my sister come on as a guest for the first time, and I had recommended Shining Girls to her, the Elizabeth Moss show on Apple TV+, and she has continued to watch that. So I do believe we're going to have a follow-up conversation on that. It is a very ambitious and strange show. And I am curious to see if they'll be able to pull off a pretty complex storyline here. I am definitely interested so far. And with this week's fourth episode, they'll be halfway through the season. And we'll also be discussing Barry, I'm sure. We are watching that, and I am enjoying it very much so far. And also, I will definitely be covering the new Marvel Doctor Strange movie, the sequel, which is also coming out this weekend, on top of everything else. (laughs) There's just not enough time. So do subscribe so you know when those episodes become available. And if you'd like to support the show... Recommend us to your friends and family, or share us on your social media. With all of that out of the way, episode four of season six, Better Call Saul. All right, everybody, this is actually the second attempt for me trying to record with Sona today. Life gets in the way, as they say. The um, But uh, welcome <laughs> to another episode of Need Some Introduction. Today's episode, I will be discussing last week's episode, episode number three, Rock in a Hard Place of Better Call Saul. And then you'll be hearing, I'm recording this in the, in the past, by the way, I will be giving you a rundown, <laughs> a rundown of the current episode of Better Call Saul. And of course, there's going to be lots of ramifications for last week's episode. So I wanted to get your feedback, Sona. Before we get into all that, I just wanted to mention that I dropped an episode over the weekend with my sister, actually. It's the first time she's been on the show. And we discussed some shows that we've been watching, Tokyo Vice, for one, Shining Girls, and Barry. Barry is back. And I'm probably going to go week to week on Barry, I do believe. I know, Sona, you've never caught up on that, but that's a really, really great show and a very strange... I've heard that, yeah. Very unconventional, by the way. Very funny, very disturbing sometimes, a very strange combination of things. And it's been gone for three years that due to COVID. <laughs> it's been gone for a while, as has many of these shows. And of course, they're all coming out in the same month, apparently. <laughs> they all came back the same day. But, you know um, what? I read um, just a passing headline somewhere yeah. is that there's something about the deadline for Emmy submission that oh. is driving all of these shows to come out like this because they all want to um, get in before the deadline. Oh my God. Thank you so much for explaining this to me. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I've been looking at the schedule for next month and there's still a lot of stuff coming in, especially at the beginning of May. And maybe that's part of that deadline also. But as the month goes on, it gets back to be a pretty regular pace. They have Stranger Things is coming back at the end of the month. The new Obi-Wan Kenobi show is coming. Uh, But in general, 
after the first or second week, it's pretty slow. It slows down significantly, but I was just could not believe the, I literally have it on a piece of paper, just the shows that I've been thinking about covering here on the show. Cause I'm always kind of saying, well, which one of these do I think I'm, I'm always gambling. I, I don't get previews of these. So I'm always gambling to say, well, which one of these do I think is going to be interesting? We got very lucky with severance by the way, mm-hmm. and especially then, cause there wasn't a lot of new content out at that time. But I mean, the shows that I have been watching like Tokyo vice, like the Lakers show winning time, to some extent, like Pachinko, the girl from Plainville, some of those uh, shows, which I have been watching, but then there's like a whole backlog of shows that I haven't even got, been able to get around to. And then every week, like Ozark's finale just dropped this week. Yep. And the uh, mm-hmm. flight attendant, which I know you watch some of, dropped mm-hmm. this week. And we're watching Shining Girls with Elizabeth Moss, me and my sister, which we, we may be covering week to week. It's incredible. Like, I'm like, how am I supposed to watch all this stuff? How is, I don't think if you're a professional doing this, you can watch all these shows. How is a casual viewer ever going to stay on top of all these things? Yes, it's a deluge. <laughs> it's nuts. I thank you for explaining that. Yeah, that makes sense because Emmy nominations <laughs> in the long run, in the long run, Emmy nominations will definitely get you a lot of viewers, especially since everything's available on streaming forever, right? Right. So there's always that option. But I feel like in the short term, half these shows nobody is watching. <laughs> like really nobody. Who has watching. time? Yeah. <laughs> especially some of these shows that are like premiering on Paramount Plus or whatever. Like who's watching those? If you're not on Netflix or an established uh, network like Hulu and some of these other apps. Who could possibly be watching these shows? <laughs> I can't imagine. Okay, so that explains things. Thank you for that. Um, but Happy to help. <laughs> thank you. Let's get into your opinions of last week's Better Call Saul episode. Anybody who hasn't heard my opinion on that, I gave my review last week in the same feed. Just go back a few episodes, three episodes back now at this point. But Sona, what did you think? Obviously, big things happened to this episode and what was your general impression and anything that stood out for you oh poor nacho yeah poor nacho poor nacho which is you know not something i ever thought i would say as far as words that exist in the <laughs> english language but um you know you just uh, for me i found myself hoping against hope that even though the writing was on the wall i mean they almost literally told you what was going to happen <laughs> that there was going to be some miraculous way for nacho to survive this because even though he clearly has done some bad things and is caught up with some awful people you still at least i still was rooting for him on some level and found him very likable very watchable. I think the actor did an amazing job uh, all throughout, but especially in this episode. Uh, His final scenes, you know, were so compelling. My eyes were like glued to the screen, but uh, it was tough. Yeah, I totally agree. They gave him a real showcase here. Speaking of Emmy nominations, (laughs) best Mm -hmm. actor Oh, that last speech. Oh my goodness. Yes. And for me, I'm much more of a fan of really subtle acting. And I thought he did such a brilliant job when he's talking to his father on the phone. Heartbreaking, yeah. And you just see, you know, he can't say it. You know, they, They've burdened him in a way, the writers of the show, without giving him actual dialogue. He can't even tell his dad, I love you or goodbye or anything. Mm-hmm. It's all on his face. And you just see how happy he is to hear his voice and then how frustrated he is that he can't tell him anything. And then he hangs up the phone and he's sad for a moment, but then he's happy again. It's as if he knows how he can potentially save his dad. And that's really all he's wanted to do for quite some time now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was really beautiful. And yeah, the finale, what an incredible scene he has there at the end. For the show to work at some way, you're like, how is he going to convince people that Gustavo's not behind this? Or how is he, you know, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. And, a, and a lesser show, not to just throw Ozark under the bus directly. <laughs> <laughs> but you could imagine that like in general with Ozark, even I'm not going to just talk about the quality of the show in general, but just in general, 
they do a lot of hand waving when they're like, sure. We'll give you just enough credibility to be like, well, they wouldn't kill him because of blah, blah, blah. Right. And they just kind of right. wave it, wave it away. And this one, you know, for it to kind of be true to the quality of the show, you really have to believe that they can sell this. And boy, does he sell it. He's like, you think this was the chicken man? <laughs> I put you in that wheelchair. You know, like he really did. Oh, but it's so job. much satisfaction in that, oh, right? Yes. Because yeah. they have built so much, at least for me, and I think for most viewers, so much contempt and hatred for that Hector character <laughs> oh my God, that yes. it's like satisfying yes. to, see, to see Nacho tell him that, like, yeah, I did this and remember that till your dying day. I, oh, I loved it. By the way, I wanted to call out just that the actor who plays Hector, I don't know, have you ever seen any interviews with this guy? I have not, but I am constantly shocked at the amount of old movies I watch where this actor shows up. <laughs> I was going to mention that, you know, even if you see him in performances, you'll see it as well. But I love hearing him in interviews because he's like so well-spoken. He doesn't have any kind of accent or anything, not that that matters one way or the other, but just like so different in every possible way from the character on the show. So just to speak to what a great performance he gives, especially since he is until Better Call Saul, we never saw him actually speak. He's been like, <laughs> yes, you know, he's yes. been basically uh, just him uh, and the bell. Yeah, just him and the bell. <laughs> and he's such a horrible villain. And it's just like he doesn't even get to talk. It's just him and that yes. bell. You hear that bell and you're like, oh, no, here he comes. Oh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's Pavlovian, literally Pavlovian. Pavlovian. <laughs> Anything else that stood out there? I actually thought this is something that we've seen also on Breaking Bad, I think on Ozymandias to be one specific episode that it does this. This is back in Breaking Bad, just to be clear. Occasionally they have these episodes where we see like the aftermath of something and then we circle all the way back to it. And yes, I thought it was really lovely right. the way mm -hmm. they opened this and you almost know right away yes. that someone's going to die just the way that this is set up. Mm -hmm. It's that shot through the bramble or whatever it is in the desert. And then you see this one blue flower and then there's just a piece of glass there. And it's as the rain starts, you hear like the music of the water on the glass and you're like, oh boy, something bad happened here. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. it's like a little, uh, it's like a little, um, memorial to somebody right and of course it turns out that's nacho right so it, it's a beautiful episode really just really well done in general of course i mean it's redundant at this point to say the show is well made <laughs> <But>. <laughs> what an innovative thought <laughs> yeah hey this show's pretty good <laughs> turns, out. <laughs> turns out yeah no i agree though and we talked about it last week as well that the cinematography is really yeah. beautiful and poetic and um you know stuff that is just like background and filler in other shows right. is really meaningful here absolutely yeah every shot counts really i mean and that's actually another thing that i'd say that maybe has improved over the course of the show that there really are no wasted shots you know oftentimes when you watch a show even a quality show like the wire mm -hmm. for example the shots setups themselves they're just there to deliver the dialogue right it's like it's a medium you know it's a, a two shot with two people talking then we have the close-ups interspersed etc there's not that much thought to every single shot setup i really feel especially i mean breaking bad did this also but maybe this is just because they're so close to the end and they have the time and the budget probably to do all this. I mean, it really feels like every setup is intentional, right? Like every shot selection is important in this show. And mm -hmm. I guess like just that level of detail is so uh, impressive, right? Just that someone is spending that much time and care on everything. Absolutely. Speaking of which, in this episode, what did you think of the continuing setup or this scam that they're trying to pull on Howard? Well, I think it's nice in such a heavy episode to have something a little bit lighter to balance it out because there was so much really deep, dark stuff happening. This was a little bit of not comic relief exactly, but you know, something lighter. I do like seeing these characters again. I do like seeing Yule. Yep. 
I do like the idea of a caper. Yeah. So all of that being said, though, I don't know what the payoff on this Howard thing is going to be. Um, you know, there's this huge storyboard with a thousand post-its, yes. right? Mm-hmm. That are, yep. Yep. <laughs> I'm sure somebody has screenshotted and is analyzing every single post-it <laughs> yep. somewhere Possibly. on the internet, on okay. Reddit, probably. Let's go to Reddit. So, yeah, let's go to Reddit. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I feel like it better have a really big payoff for all this groundwork that they're laying so methodically. What did you think? Yeah, I feel the same way. They're intentionally not letting us see the big picture as far as the scam goes. Although maybe, you know, they like leaving us breadcrumbs. It's possible that somebody has a very high 4K television. I, I, I do not have a 4K TV yet. I really need to upgrade. But maybe someone did a screen <laughs> capture with 4K and is zoomed in on every single one of those and can uh, decipher what this overall scam is going to be. I mean, the general broad strokes, I think they're going to have Howard in such a bad circumstance either they're going to blackmail him into resolving the case or he's going to be in such financial straits that he'll need to resolve the case so that they can get the payout i can't imagine them blackmailing him because they can't show his their hands he has to think this is happening outside there organically somehow right exactly yeah i would assume that that that, that's the case but i still don't know what that the broad strokes of that are i did like the conversation he has with huel where huel says to him why do you do this? You know, you're a lawyer, your wife's a lawyer. And that was a great conversation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I actually excerpted in my recap for the fact that it touches on what we were discussing before about, you know, how he sees himself as this kind of Robin Hood character. And then we have that exactly happen. He says, well, you know, in the long run, I'm actually helping all these people. And he was just like, if you say so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was great. He's like, sure, sure. <laughs> you're just another criminal with an excuse. Mm-hmm. Rationalizing. Yeah, exactly. Is there anything else that you wanted to touch on? I thought there was an interesting thing that we've been seeing all along about Mike. Yeah. Bottom line, he really is a mercenary and he's a human and he has emotions and he gets attached to people and he feels sorry about things. But in the end, he's always just going to do his job, which I think is interesting. Yeah. And I think that that goes back to his code, right? Like uh, I excerpted this in our first conversation when we were talking about like the overview of the the show, someone basically says, I'm not a criminal. And Mike says, you took something that wasn't yours and you right. sold it for a profit. That makes you a criminal. Are right. you a good person? Are you a bad person? That's like up to you. That's up to your perception. But he, in a separate conversation, has said to Gus that, you know, you can be a criminal, but you have to stay to your word. You have to be true to your word, I should say. And mm-hmm. I think that's very important to Mike, that Mike basically says, I can be as bad as I am as long as I'm on the up and up. And I think mm-hmm. that's why our where he, you know, he is getting to a, a complicated point though, right? Because he feels like Gus is not holding up his part of the bargain, but Gus also saved his life, right? So he does feel like that he mm-hmm. has this loyalty to Gus minimally for that reason. So yeah, it, it's a very interesting, complicated character that he is. And uh, we know how things turn out for him, unfortunately, not well. <laughs> we do, yeah. So that's the other thing that's interesting and maybe I don't know if the show is going to address it in some way. It would be clever if they could somehow almost unify these two shows and have some kind of character arc payoff, which is going to be hard to do, but maybe they could have some kind of echoes of the future in those later episodes, because I think it is interesting to think about the way Gustavo is today, this unstoppable machine. He can't help but win, but he's going to lose, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, in a big gonna, way. Wall's going to kill lose. all these people. Wall's going to kill gonna all lose these... his head. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Face off. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about Kim in this episode? I found this very interesting. We can almost just look at each character and, and break them down. 
as we're kind of doing <laughs> and look at Kim's arc here because I find it interesting. First of all, she's found an arrest record on her client, her pro bono client, mm -hmm. and she offers it up. She doesn't have to, but she does. And she mm -hmm. says, well, I'm going to offer this up to you because I don't care if you know about this, I'm still going to beat you on the merits of the case. So is this naivety on her part? No, absolutely not. It's calculated. Uh, and this idea of like, oh, I'm doing this in good faith. This is my obligation. It's part of discovery. I mean, all true, but I don't think that's what's driving her. I think she is playing a long game here. What is that long game, do you think? In that I case? don't know what it is, but she's... <laughs> She is a calculated woman. I think that we have seen. She is a chess player. She thinks 10 steps ahead and she's laying the groundwork for something. I just don't know what it is yet. It's interesting. I can read it that way because my gut instinct was what you said. I first, I was like, is she, mm -hmm. working, is she working some angle here? And then I'm like, or is she really such an, like, does she really believe in her own skills and the law? Is she so naive that she thinks that she's really going to win just because the case is strong? So I wasn't sure, but I did have your interpretation at first. I think she may believe that in the end, what she's doing is not going to damage her client. I think she may still believe she has the better side of things. It's not going to matter. But I think that she is also laying the groundwork. There's a lot of things I feel even within a single case in litigation, yeah. You know, often when your adversary asks you for a favor, you have a reason to say no, but you think at some point in the future, I will need a favor. So I'm right. going to say yes, so that this person remembers three months from now, when that thing arises, that I have no idea what it's going to be, but right. I am confident it's going to come. Right. I will have built that goodwill to be able to say, hey, you know, I did this for you. Can you do this for me? Even though I could technically say no, and it, I would be within my rights. And I feel like it's that kind of framework where she's trying to like build up her reputation, build up this idea of like, I'm not the type of person who would do these other shady things, whatever it may be. But I think it's going to pay off in some other way for her. I think that's a great interpretation of that, by the way. I, I, I buy everything you just said. I can imagine in the future, if her and Jimmy do something shady to get her client off, She'll be like, how can you accuse me of being shady? I'm the one who has uh -huh. evidence, right? Uh -huh. Or on the other hand, like you said, imagine she loses the case for whatever reason. It turns out this guy was the mastermind behind this whole thing. And she says, remember when I gave you those papers? Can't you cut me some slack? So yeah, exactly. I think that getting some political good, goodwill makes perfect sense. I think that's a really excellent interpretation of all that. It actually pays a dividend for her immediately because the DA or this prosecutor. Uh -huh. uh -huh. The prosecutor takes her aside and says, well, you know what? We're looking at Jimmy, right? Right. Which is problematic too, because not only is it potentially very problematic for Jimmy, obviously, uh, this investigation, but also the fact that they tell her that, uh, tell them both, you know, through her, that Lalo's dead, which of course he's not. <laughs> so they may drop their, they may drop their guard there. They really shouldn't. Mm -hmm. I know, I know. What did you make of her comments to Jimmy, where Jimmy goes, should I cooperate with these folks or not? And she says, mm -hmm. this is a fishing expedition. You can just keep your mouth shut. And do you want to be loyal to the cartel or do you want to be a rat? <laughs> just the way she said rat, by the way, because mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. noticed it even more so because I excerpted it in the recap. She's like rat. Like it's that mm. she's put like an exclamation point on that word. And I really wonder, she's really putting her thumb on Jimmy's decision, which is pretty messed up, right? I think it's really interesting that I guess we've seen now in Jimmy that he really is very swayed by what other people think of him, right? Because yeah. 
before the brother was driving so much of the choices that he made either to stick it to his brother or to try and gain his brother's approval, uh, you know, and swinging violently back and forth between those two <laughs> yes, at yes. times. Um, but, you know, for somebody that seems so uh, independent minded and has his own way, you know, marches to the beat of his own drummer, maybe he doesn't as much as his outward actions and words would make you think like maybe he really is driven more by what people around him are influencing him to do for good or for bad. Yeah, I think that we've seen that throughout the course of the whole show. I totally agree. And it's really fascinating because I've known people like this. It's very juvenile, by the way, because a lot of people who I think of off the top of my head who act this way were probably younger, although maybe they're still like this older in life as well. <laughs> But people who are very reactionary, so they are either acting out for approval or acting out against something like some constraint that they are bristling against, even if it's in their best uh, own self-interest. So I do find that very interesting that he is in some ways very arrested. He's maybe still that same teenager that he was all those years ago. But yeah, that is fascinating because he is obviously swayed by what Kim is doing. But interestingly, he's also disturbed by how cutthroat Kim has become. Clearly. Right? Yes, clearly. So there is still something of his own perception that isn't just swaying with her. He is concerned. Maybe, and I don't know if he's concerned. Well, I'll say it's both things. I think he's concerned at how extreme she may get, how cutthroat she might get. And I also feel like maybe he's afraid of the influence he's had on her because- I was about to say, I wonder yeah. if he's feeling like he created a monster. Yes. That, right. you know, what started out as this fun, you know, Giselle character, just trying to scam a guy that they meet in a hotel bar has now turned into like this master manipulator. Right, because I mean, just one season ago before thing, she really soured on everything when she almost died trying to do the right thing or, or try to be the lawyer she thought she was supposed to be. Jimmy was trying to be that lawyer also, right? Jimmy was trying to follow suit and saying, look, we're both on a good path and we can both be successful and work within the system, basically. You know, then he quit and then she almost dies <laughs> in that car mm -hmm. accident. And then she decides to to quit as well. So it's interesting to see, is this the breaking point for, for her? And does he feel like maybe he led her here in some ways? Mm -hmm. And then I also think that he worries about not having a moral compass, right? She was the one that he was the con man and she was attracted to it, but she was always trying to keep him on the straight and narrow. So there was not only Chuck, but her, there was a kind of a check in a balance, right? And I feel like maybe he's losing that. If he has to become his own moral compass, <laughs> he may not be equipped, equipped for that. Right? So. Yes, should not be left to his own devices. Yeah. <laughs> right. I do want to circle back to something that I thought of this week when I was Tokyo Vice just wrapped up this week and I did like a little review of it when I was talking to Celia. That show is based on an actual memoir. So most of the things that happen in there, the names have been changed, but most of the things that happened there actually did happen as part of this case. Even the most outlandish stuff actually did actually happen. But what I found interesting is that they do have this female character in there who is woman. They work at the karaoke bars and the hostesses, and she, the hostess, yeah. yes, hostess, mm -hmm. and she it becomes a you know a main point of view character in the show, and it kind of gives you access to that part of Japanese culture. But she's really just kind of hanging out there. It's almost like they like they need a female character in there. Token, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, a little bit. And, Try and uh, get women to watch. Maybe they'll like this. <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> and the rest of the show is very strong, and 
Celia and I both <laughs> like digress. We're talking about, we talked about how much we love the show. And we had a 10 minute digression on this character. And it made me think in connection to that, that you can make the same argument potentially with Nacho in the fact that maybe they wrote him into a corner a little bit because Nacho's kind of been on the periphery of the action throughout all of Better Call Saul. And now we know we say goodbye to him in this episode, but he really has been other than an occasional interaction with Saul. It's almost like, why was Nacho in the show? Or not that, why was he in the show? <laughs> but why was he like a main character in the show? Like, he, and, and I really do feel like this was maybe a structural mistake, like the way they structured the show. But I would say like these showrunners in general do, even when you have a weakness potentially in the show, Nacho became such a great character that I loved spending time with him. I really do feel though, in retrospect, that I'm like, so what was he doing on the show? He was just another guy inside that was you know, having his own little side adventures, but it's not like tied into the overall Better Call Saul storyline. Do you feel that at all? Or That's interesting. I guess I enjoyed his storyline so yeah. much that mm -hmm. it didn't occur to me to question it. I think there is some value for Better Call Saul when you look at the bigger Breaking Bad universe of having certain storylines that don't play into that. Right. Um, I think it's nice to have some standalone stuff that has nothing to do with Breaking Bad whatsoever. So in that way, I support it. Whether it has nothing to do with Better Call Saul whatsoever is a different <laughs> right. um, issue that I hadn't considered. Right. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I guess I enjoyed it enough that I don't care. Right. Maybe it was a way to showcase like character development by seeing yeah. who was compassionate about the dad situation, who could care less what happens to the dad, you know, the different things that it allowed the characters to show about themselves that were interacting with Nacho. Yeah, I think that you made a really good point, though, that potentially just from a pragmatic point of view, they needed a character who's not in Breaking Bad. Right. <laughs> so right. that we otherwise worry about it's like, Yeah, I mean, this was really... I understand that part of it, right, is we want to see the stuff that ties into Breaking Bad because right. it adds to that story to say like, oh, and these are all the things that happened to those characters before they got to Breaking Bad. Right. But at the same time, I mean, that's not the entire point of this show, I don't think. Yeah, it, I, I enjoyed the character and I do enjoy the way they paralleled these kind of people who are all trapped by these circumstances because Mike is empathetic to Nacho for some of those reasons, right? So you see how everything's paralleled. Everybody wants, they wanna protect what they care about and they want revenge for the wrongs that they feel have, have happened, right? And that includes Gustavo, right? So everybody mm -hmm. has these kind of their right. own agendas. Mm -hmm. So I like how they're paralleled. I think they do a really good job of developing all these characters. What I think is strange is, let's make the analogy to Breaking Bad again, maybe halfway through Breaking Bad. Of course, Gustavo becomes this main character in the show. And yes. that's for long periods of time, him and Walter's stories don't intersect. And then of course, yes. they're on a collision course towards the end. Yes. And then of course, it makes perfect sense that he becomes his main antagonist and then he dies. So even though we had these parallel stories for a long period of time, they obviously converge. It's as if, imagine in Breaking Bad, Gustavo got killed randomly by somebody right, else. Right, right, right. And you're like, so why were we spending so much time with him? Yeah. But like I said, I, I'm not really going to complain when you have such great characters, but it is a little weird to be like, so what was that about? But I only think about that, like to that point though, I only thought about it 
in having this conversation this weekend about these kind of superfluous characters. Because mm -hmm, even when I'm mm -hmm. watching Tokyo Vice, by the way, even when I was watching Tokyo Vice, I enjoyed, not the character wasn't great, I think she was a little underwritten, but I did love understanding this part of Japanese culture. So I enjoyed mm -hmm. it from like a journalistic point of view. And then at mm -hmm. the end, I'm like, so what was she doing there? <laughs> so it's like, uh, only had that thought uh, in, in paralleling it to Nacho just not to take away anything away from Michael Mando. I think that's his name, Michael Mando's yes. performance, which mm -hmm. is incredible. Amazing. Yeah. And we knew he was doing his CrossFit workouts every single day. So he had that amazing cardio, but then we got to see his physique in this episode as well. He was right? in so great shape, man. It really, it really showed, it really showed. And he could hold his breath for a really for long very time. very long time, exactly. I, I call that out in the recap as well, that you know this guy has to run all night and hold his breath for a long period of yes. time. Thank God his cardio is incredible. I mean, that was difficult even just to watch, right? Oh my God, so gross. Can you imagine? But I mean, hey, in that situation, what oh, else are you going to do, right? Yeah, not really any choice. I thought that was a terrible idea at first when he goes into that. I'm like, where else are they going to look for you, buddy? It's the only place to hide. Yeah, really. That could have been the end of him right there. But oh, and I wanted, to call out, I wanted to call out that you were right. I, in my mind, I'm just like, well, obviously, you know, after he, in the previous episode, that when he smashed through those cards, like, and then they catch him, right? Like, where can he go? Yes. And uh, you were absolutely right. No, he, he, that call was not when he was captive. Obviously, he was. He had escaped, and we found out how he escaped from from all that. So I, I was like, "There's no chance he got away." Well, apparently, there was. <laughs> at least for a little while. At least for a little. While. Yeah, I I do think it was a little hand wavy that we didn't see that. But okay. <laughs> I did like the um, conversation he has with Gustavo also, where he you know, gets Gustavo on the phone and goes, I'm still alive. <laughs> you mm -hmm. wanted me dead, but I'm alive. Mm -hmm. And if I open my mouth, you are dead. Yes. Uh, and then of course he makes that bargain, which is like, you know, protect my dad and I will die, which is quite <sighs> a thing to do. But I mean, what, what else, what else can he possibly do? Right. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, RIP Nacho, great performance. I hope this guy gets at least a nomination because he really did. Agree. Great. Completely. And, uh, hope he gets a lot more work in the future. I'm sure he will. I can't imagine him not getting lots of work from this. I hope so too, because I'm not sure if I ever saw him anything before this. He's supposed to be one of the villains in an upcoming upcoming Spider-Man movie because in the Spider-Man Homecoming, the first one with the new Spider-Man character in it, when Michael Keaton goes to jail, he runs into a like a, a, a bad guy in prison who says, "Tell I know you know who Spider-Man is, tell me who it is. And he won't reveal Spider-Man's identity, Michael Keaton, who's the hmm. bad guy in that one. That guy, the, the guy who is talking to Michael Keaton and trying to get him to talk is Michael Mando. So I think he was supposed to be set up as some future Marvel character. So, hey, if he ends up in the Marvel universe, I'm sure he'll get paid very, very well. <laughs> so good for him. Good for him. Everybody's Not in the Marvel thing, universe good now. good for him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You won't watch it, but still. Um, oh, and your digression. What was your digression? Do you remember? Here's my digression, which is um, something I've been meaning to mention for a while, but actually I also have not really thought it through. So bear with me here. Go hot take. I love <laughs> Let's think about the role of women in yes, yes. Better Call Saul mm -hmm. and Breaking Bad. Because yes. I remember in Breaking Bad, um, you know, I was late to the party on that and kind of trying to like cover a lot of ground in a very short time. But from what I could tell, there was a lot of disdain for Skylar. Yes. Who, so much. listen, was not my favorite either. But I think a lot of the things that people hated about her were things that were very realistic that a person would do in her situation. Right. And in fact, I think she was more understanding about the situation for a while yes. yep. than a lot of people would be. I'm just thinking about what's happening with Kim now. Yeah. 
and with Skylar being one of the main women characters that ever really got developed in Breaking Bad, from what I can recall sitting here today. And I'm thinking about now what's happening with Kim and wondering if, like, are they taking a similar role with her where somehow like the woman becomes the one that's like standing in the way of all our fun of seeing what could be happening. I don't know. I'm kind of like uncomfortable with the way they're treating women in these worlds. What do you think? I actually agree with what you're saying. I'm a little bit slightly different in that with Skylar, they made her the voice of reason, right? And but people what, hated that. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. And for whatever <laughs> reasons, people, it's so crazy just to piggyback directly on what you're saying. I do not try to look at, you know, internet commentary, right. <laughs> especially because it's so toxic. But just right. randomly, I was looking at some comments on this episode of Better Call Saul. And they all start off with like RIP Nacho, blah, 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 you know, the usual stuff. And as I start digging through some of these nested conversations, I see some people coming in there saying like, cool, I can't wait till Walter comes back and Jesse. And they're like, maybe they're going to be in the present. And they're like, what do you mean? Walter's dead. But what if Walter didn't die? And there's these like people who are these like Walter truthers. They still want Walt <laughs> to have won in the end because there's this whole subsection of people who watch Breaking Bad who didn't get the point of that show and thought that he was a good guy. And I'm like, he's oh obviously a bad guy. And the whole second or the whole finale, the whole last season where he gets, not only does he kill the bad guys, but he gets everybody around him dies except for Skylar and his immediate family. And he basically massacres everybody to protect them to some in some way. This is not a good guy. <laughs> and the show goes out of its way to say, this is not a good guy. He himself says, basically makes a confession to Skylar like near the in the last episode yes. next to last episode and these truthers out there are still trying to say that he was in the right and skylar's such a bitch you know and i'm like what is going on <laughs> so that one's inadvertent i think they definitely didn't mean to cast her that way but that was the perception but i do agree that i think about not that um kim is going to be someone who gets in Saul's way, but in some ways she's becoming like the Lady Macbeth in this uh, yeah. show, right? So once again, in a very different way, she ends up being maybe the bad guy here. And, right, like the idea, like yeah. this woman comes along and screws everything up for the yeah. main guy somehow yeah. or the other, whether it's like by being practical and saying, maybe you should stop dealing meth or, <laughs> right. <laughs> or right. by, by driving someone to do something that is going to cause trouble or some way. Like I don't, and I don't necessarily listen, like women are multidimensional that right. can happen, yeah. sure. but then like, maybe there could be some other women around and then have other aspects to their personality. Yep. You know, I don't think I really have thought through how male centric these shows are and whether yeah. that is just a function of the world that they're showing us or is it not necessary and maybe it could have been done differently. I haven't really thought about that. The other woman I think of, by the way, in all of this is the woman who sells the chemicals from that German company. And she also is a disdained person in both shows. And is you this think the about- Splenda lady? Yes. And you think yeah. about how they, dis, you know, they dispose of her, like mm -hmm. disposing of her, unlike what happens to Skylar, where, you know, there's a corrective there at the end of that show, you're supposed to like be pumping your fist in the air when she gets mm -hmm. poisoned mm -hmm. in that show. Right. So it is. And once again, not that many character female characters here. I agree with everything you're saying, but the only maybe 
defense I'd have is that all the guys in this show are pretty horrible people too. I guess yeah. the end, right? Okay, that so. that actually is a valid point. Yeah, they're all murderers. I, I'm trying to think of like, is there anybody who's just like a true innocent bystander throughout the show? And I, I really can't think of any. I, I mean, there are definitely you know some characters who died through no fault of their own, but they're not main characters in the show, right? They're just like kind of secondary everybody who's like a main character is a pretty bad person who probably deserves yeah. that <laughs> so everyone yeah, i guess i'm thinking about it in relation to like being a driving force behind the main yes. character's yeah. actions you know and i'm yeah. just wondering if maybe there was space to do things differently or maybe there was space to have another female character that could show other types of dimensions uh of character i don't know i'm not sure how i feel about it but i think there's something interesting going on there yeah <laughs> i'll just and say I, that yeah, I would reserve, I'll reserve my judgment until the very end, but I do agree. I think that there is an issue, like you said, probably the male focus of these shows in general, that there is, obviously there's way more men on these shows than, than women. And I mean, listen, statistically, cartels are mostly right. men, I'm right. assuming. I haven't researched this, but I think. <laughs> so, right. so there's something to that, that, you know, is just realistic. The only trick of that whole thing, of course, is that Skylar gets in the way because she's telling Walt, don't you have enough money, maybe you shouldn't sell meth anymore. And uh, Kim is saying to Jimmy, you should make more money and maybe you should sell some meth. Yes, fair. <laughs> or at least- Well, they didn't want to retread the same ground. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. They just put the whole thing upside down. That could be funny though, right? That where in both cases you have Walt is the driving force and Skylar's trying to keep him, you know, hold him back from doing this, mm -hmm. these bad things. And then on the other hand- From being have... the drug kingpin that he was meant to be. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And then on the opposite side, you have uh, Kim maybe saying, you could do, you could be more soul. Shouldn't you, <laughs> you, shouldn't you have a giant- You a kingpin. <laughs> exactly. Shouldn't you have a mansion with, uh, you know, and a fancy car? You're Saul Goodman. Mm. Mm -hmm. it, so to your general point, I think that they're very, very different characters, but I do think that they're maybe problematically sketched in both cases, right? So- Yes, I agree with you. Like Gus is obviously not a good guy. <laughs> no, no argument. But there's something um, in the way that he's portrayed that is more objective. It goes back to the idea of like, you know, whether Nacho should have been a POV character this whole time or not. You know, maybe that was a mistake on the writer's part. And then he was just such a good character that kept writing him. But to that point, you see the world through his eyes in multiple times. You don't get that with Skylar. Skylar is there because she's Walt's wife, right? So you right. don't get that. Like you said, you don't see her as a full person with all their ups and downs and their mixed motivations. You see her really just nagging uh, Walt. Yes. And she's yes. nagging him on its face. What she's saying is absolutely the right thing to do. So absolutely. People, sh people yeah. should not call her a shrew. But I do think it's a limitation of the way that show is written because they didn't give you her interiority. You just had her yelling at him, right? So that that's kind of limited her appeal, obviously. And I, I mean, feel the same thing with, Kim, with her right? boss. We saw a little some. bit. Yeah, we do yeah. see her backstory there and, and that sexual harassment situation and everything. So you do see a little, and you see that she is unhappy in the marriage. But I do feel it's not as memorable as how Absolutely. the other characters are defined. And I mean, and I feel Absolutely. the same thing maybe with Kim this season. We will see more of her backstory. But I also feel other than like that flashback to her childhood, we don't really get an understanding of what her motivation is. Honestly, you look at her now, and that's a question I have on a regular basis is what is causing this pivot in her from this, you know, good girl who likes to dabble with danger to someone who is just like completely cutthroat. Obviously, something has switched inside of her. And we can guess, you know, was the, you know, she tried to do everything the right way. And then she snapped with that accident and people 
you know, still just expecting more and more and more of her. She just burned out. And I think a lot of women probably feel that way. So I think that that is all legitimate. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't think that they've, <laughs> you could probably appreciate that. But at the same time, I feel like they have not given her enough interiority. We're guessing at that. And I think that is the frustration. I mean, we did spend a lot of time with her and Mesa Verde. True. Yeah, we did. So yeah, I mean, that's what that. I think you, we feel, you know, I think they did spend enough time with her. So it's not like we're just guessing that she burned out at that moment. I think it's right. pretty clear that that was the intention, but it still feels like I'm watching her rather than I'm in her head. Right. And I, I agree with you. Yeah. Yes. And I think that's probably where in both cases, we're not spending enough time with these characters because we're spending time with Saul and Walt right. and Jesse and Gus and Mike. Other, all the other men. All the other men. They're 85% of the show, which is all men. <laughs> I am curious to see if they can broaden that out. <laughs> I really wish I could talk to you about the first episode of Ozark because, man, if you want to see a female character that is written in the most unflattering way humanly possible and does not make any sense, <laughs> that first episode really made me scratch my head. So maybe I will just tease that. And, okay, uh, <laughs> I'll have to get on that. <laughs> and maybe next week we can do some Ozark talk because I mean, it just dropped. So yeah, we, for sure. We can check some of that. How out. many episodes I, is this back half? It's six or five, five or six. I'm not sure. Okay. Six, six max, six max. Oh, and I will let you know something else. Once again, I have no spoilers on the show, but I go to IMDb to see People do post reviews. I don't read them though, but I'm just curious to see the general consensus, like the ratings that people get. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So just as a point of view, by the way, just as a perspective on this, this is incredible. The finale of Breaking Bad, the average score on a scale of zero to 10 is a 9.8. So think about how nuts that is. That means that- I found the... that to be one of the most satisfying finales I've ever watched in my life. I agree also. and But, but you just think about statistically how you basically mm -hmm. get almost everybody is giving this a 10. Agree. And yes. if they're not giving it a 10, they're giving it a nine. <laughs> so it's, mm -hmm. it's pretty remarkable. Anyway, the reason I call that out is I just had a curiosity. I'm like, I haven't seen all the episodes, but I am curious to see what is the temperature around the show? How is that finale? For example, like we saw in our coverage of uh, Dexter, people hated the first finale and people hated the second finale of the new one. <laughs> so anyway, I looked at average audience score for this season and they're all in the eights, you know, and, and better. I think one of them has a nine, which is very good, obviously. But the finale, people hate it. They hate oh, it. Oh, is that right? Yeah. So, which makes me Eek. only more motivated, only more motivated to get to it, to see why people hate it so much. Because wow. I, I might like it. Sometimes when something's very divisive, I actually end up on the positive side of that. So I am curious mm -hmm. to see, you know, theoretically, you know, this could be another Breaking Bad situation where it's like, maybe Walter's still alive. Like, you know, if they kill off the whole family, maybe people are like furious about that because they want them to ride into the sunset and become billionaires, right? But mm -hmm. Well, we know that car accident has to come back into play, right? So Exactly. So that's the only spoilers I'll give you is that that doesn't happen in episode one. So just if you were waiting for that. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, I think we had speculated when we did our previous conversation mm -hmm. that maybe it opens with the car accident and then there's the ramifications of that over the course of the five episodes. Absolutely not. So maybe that is, like, you know, could you imagine that's the finale we already saw it, which is just like the car crashes and they all die. End of story. <laughs> oh my gosh. It could be. It could. That might be why yeah. people are mad. Who knows? Uh, I did see the first episode and can't wait to get your feedback on this show. But... <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um, did you want to talk about the flight attendant? What did you think of the first two episodes? I enjoyed them. One thing that was disappointing for me is that they have moved the show to LA. And okay. I did they I thought they did such a great job of making New York City a character in the first season, which is always something that I am so fond of. So I'm sorry to see that they moved to LA. But 
I think they have maintained that like fun, zany type of feeling, which is great. And um, there are some characters from last season that reappear this season that make it very fun. And I think it's definitely one of those shows that, you know, you can't overthink it. <laughs> there are many <laughs> <Right>. plot holes. <laughs> Just go along for the ride and enjoy it because it's a lot of fun. And so far, that's what I would say. It's, you know, it's living up to that from the first season. Yeah, I enjoyed the first season. I, I, I didn't really get caught up on the plot hole so much on the first season. I thought that the show kind of overstated its, excuse me, it's overstated its welcome a little bit towards the end. And I knew, mm-hmm. I do know that they shot during COVID. So some of those weird scenes at the end where there's only like one or two people in the room together, I think that's part of the reason that it's kind of strange for me towards the end. But I did enjoy, especially, I think I told you, those, those first two, three episodes of the show, the music, the style of the show was just so much fun. And, and it still has that. Yeah, for great. sure. So, so. I, I'll probably check it out. And like, you know, if I tune out halfway through, or, or I may just watch it casually, but I, I have heard good things about it. I haven't seen any of this current season yet. Oh, I have a question. And I guess anybody out there, if you don't want to get spoiled on the show, maybe you jump ahead two or three minutes. So what is the structure of the show now? Because I assume she's still not being haunted by Michael Hausman, Hausman, whatever, however you pronounce his name. So is she still having those conversational digressions? She is, but she's being haunted by prior versions of herself. So in this portion of the show, she, you know, is in recovery. She's sober now. Okay. So there is a drunk version of her, (laughs) which I guess, you know, in her mind, maybe is also the fun version of her. that uh, comes back into her life to ask her questions, into her head to ask her questions. There's a childhood version of her as well. So they are constantly taunting her and providing commentary on her judgment. Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah, it's it's very fun the way it's done, honestly. That sounds cool. Uh, Is there an explanation as to why she's having these? I mean, before it was like almost like her alcoholic (laughs) state, right? When she was having these visions. Yeah, so in the first episode, it does not seem that she's having these types of visions until she is very near a car that explodes and oh, she's wow. thrown back and hits her head on the pavement. Okay. So she has some kind of brain damage. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it's probably a traumatic brain injury. <laughs> <laughs> which is fine. Which is fine. I, I'll buy it. I'll buy it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Very cool. I will see you tomorrow. We haven't seen you guys in forever. So looking forward to just having a chance to catch up. It'll be nice to see you. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Thanks. Okay, take care. Talk to you okay. Bye. Bye. You're the guy from the desert. The one who was out there with Jimmy. Why are you telling me this and not him? Because I think you're made of sterner stuff. I do know you. You worked in the parking booth at the courthouse. You're the attendant. I was. Hit and Run. Directed by Rhea Seahorn, believe it or not. Kim Wexler herself. I actually don't know if she's directed before, so I should track that down. And although it's not exceptionally memorable as a direct, a well-directed episode, as we just saw in a really exceptional episode last week, for example, still very professionally done. And I do know that Vince Gilligan really does try to get his actors involved behind the camera as well. And most or many of the front of camera talent has actually written and directed some of these episodes, starting all the way back in Breaking Bad, where Brian Cranston did a lot of directing back then. 
So the episode begins at a pretty interesting spot. We see this very judgy couple riding their bicycles through their town, complaining about maybe a too bold tomato red house in the neighborhood. And as this conversation continues, they head back home. And all of a sudden we see these large men sharing their home with them and they even offer them coffee. And we notice that one of these men is watching some monitors that are surveilling a house, the address 1213. And a rather deep cut, but if you remember that address, this is Gustavo's house. So who is watching Gustavo? We'll find out by the end of the episode, but an interesting way to begin things. For a moment here, I think, is this the FBI? And is Gustavo a suspected cartel member? So is this news tightening around Gustavo? So interesting that they put this question in our mind at the beginning of the episode, and they come back to it at the very end, or near the very end. Next, we see Howard. He is arriving at his therapist's office, listening to some jazz on the radio, on his CD player. And as he settles in, we finally see the payoff to this scam that's been set up in the past two episodes. Jimmy shows up hilariously. <laughs> From behind, I literally thought this was indeed Howard. He's got his wig on. He's got his spray tan. He's got his very white teeth. I don't know if he brightened his teeth, but it seems to just shine. He's holding a cone. He's got a signature Howard suit. And I mean, literally from behind, I honestly thought it was him. And he uses his rigged keychain to unlock the car. He's not a fan of jazz. <laughs> he leaves with the car and leaves a cone. Leaves a cone because politeness dictates that you don't move a cone from a parking spot. Meanwhile, we see Kim. She's very nervous. She's meeting somebody for lunch. And I've done this, by the way, when I'm by myself, I think we probably had all had this experience where you're sitting there, you're waiting in the chair, and you just can't get the legs to level up on those concrete floors. It turns out that she's meeting with Cliff, played by Ed Begley Jr. And she's chatting up Cliff while Jimmy slash Saul continues there to coordinate this scam, which involves him picking up a prostitute and waiting for a signal from Kim. Now, while she's biding her time, she does pitch this idea of helping or having Cliff's law offices help with her pro bono work. And Cliff actually is interested in this idea. She mentions, I reach out to you not only because you're a good lawyer, but because you have connections, political connections. And Cliff mentions the fact that his son has a drug problem. And now that he's on the other side of the legal profession, that he does see the value in the work that she's doing. And he's interested in helping her fund this project. And there's just a moment of remorse that he does seem like an honest guy here. And she's embroiling him in this scam. But she goes through with it anyway, sends the text covertly, and we see the Jaguar with the signature Namaste with a three in it, Howard's car, racing down the street, drawing attention to itself and dumping out this poor prostitute that they picked up, dumping her out on the street. But of course, she's in on this scam, so it's not as cruel as it looks. After dumping her off, of course, Cliff sees all of this and says, oh my God, was that Howard? And of course, she has her back to this whole incident. So she says, I don't know what happened so fast. Maybe it did look like his car. Plays pretty innocent about this. But of course, Cliff is the real audience. And Oderkirk does, gets to do some real great comedy bits here. Not only the whole interactions with his frustration in getting this uh, working girl to come with him on time. I'm afraid that she's going to mess this whole thing up. But more importantly, when he gets back to returning Howard's car, and he cannot believe that someone moved the cone, someone with a BMW, <laughs> they moved the cone and parked there. He got so offended by this. What kind of asshole moves a cone? But thinking on his feet, he pulls into the fire lane and moves. He wrestles <laughs> the patient parking sign right out of the ground. <laughs> it's quite a struggle. Hopefully this is not what gave Bob Orderkirk his heart attack. And we're happy that he's healthy again. <laughs> but I did think about it. I'm like, Bob, don't, don't, hurt, don't strain yourself, Bob. Don't strain yourself. 
and he sticks it in the ground just as Howard turns the corner. He picks up the cone and sprints into the alley and they get away with it. Howard is none the wiser, doesn't even notice that he's been moved. I mean, I've had that experience, by the way, when I park in a mall parking lot or something. And then when I come back and I find my car, I'm like, did I park here? Is this where I parked? Really? So even if he had noticed it was a different spot, probably wouldn't question much of it. But Jimmy wants this thing to be bulletproof. I mean, <laughs> just how detailed his costume for Howard is. It speaks to how to how much time he's put into pulling this off. And yet he's almost undone by bad cone etiquette. Then we see Kim is dropping off the prostitute that helped with her performance. And she even offers her pro bono work. The prostitute right away sees a car showing up and spots it as an undercover cop immediately. But when Kim leaves, the car follows Kim, which makes her wonder who is tailing her. So the tail that we noticed a couple episodes ago, she's now finally noticed herself. Next, we see Jimmy... And Kim are telling each other their experience of the day. Having a lot of fun with this, by the way. And Kim even mentions that Cliff even offered to fund my pro bono idea. And Saul's like, I can't believe this. We can't stop winning. Seems like that winning streak might be coming to an end <laughs> at some point. So it might be a little bit of an omen. She does tell him that she feels like she's being followed. And he thinks that she's being a little paranoid. Next, he returns to the courthouse and he gets the real cold shoulder. He's a schmoozer. He's been making friendly with everybody who works at that office. He's used to getting his way to cutting in line, getting all his changes to his court dates and judge selections and everything, getting a rubber stamp of approval, but not today. He is persona non grata. He has been stamped a cartel lawyer. And even Bill just calls him out on it. What the hell is going on? How come everyone's treating me like I'm covered in oozing pus sores? I liked you better when you were just a regular bottom feeder. But this. This? What is this? I understand advocating for your client. Deep in my heart, I get it. But you scammed the court. You scammed the judge. And for what? To get a murdering cartel psychopath back out on the street? It's just wrong. It's a lot of big talk, Bill. Prove it. Prove it, Bill! There's proving, and then there's knowing. There's proving, and then there's knowing. Kim, back at the El Camino, is meeting with a client, and she notices once again, someone's watching her. She just storms across the street, writes down the license plate number, and just confronts them straight up. And when she heads back into the El Camino diner, she's confronted by Mike, our friend Mike. And Mike just kind of lays it all out there, says, we're just watching you and your husband. We're just making sure that no one's following you around. We're just concerned about the whole Lalo situation. And he's not 100% sure, by the way, that he believes that Lalo is indeed alive. I have men watching you and your husband. I'm not with the police. And as far as I know, they're not investigating either of you. I do know that you've been up to a few things that you probably would rather keep private. I don't care. That's not what this is about. I'm trying to solve a problem of my own. What problem? Lalo Salamanca. Lalo Salamanca's dead. He isn't. We're watching anyone in my contact. That includes you and your husband. 
Most likely he'll never reach out. He's got bigger fish to fry. But in the thousand to one chance that he does. And who do you work for? I said I would answer anything I can. But he is doing what Gustavo asks of him. So when she says, he's alive? Mike doesn't say yes or no. He just gives her a look. And she picks up on it. And when she asks him why, why did you come to me and not to Jimmy? He tells her, I think you're made of stronger stuff, of sterner stuff. And then we circle back all the way back to the beginning of the episode. What was going on with that, that couple in that neighborhood watching Gustavo's house? Gustavo comes home, goes down into the basement, moves a wall of shelves, unlocks a wall. And then it's like we're in the movie Parasite again or something. <laughs> but it turns out he's just walking through an underground tunnel that I guess this is not the side that the sewage line goes through, although I would assume so, considering I think they're crossing the road here. Regardless, he wanders into the basement of the Ryman's house, the same house we saw at the beginning of the, of the show. And that's where Mike is stationed with his men. So they are right across the street watching Gustavo's house. An interesting setup <laughs> where Gustavo lives in one place and is being watched by his security staff across the road. So he has really thought this out. I mean, he's got an escape route through that tunnel and he has an early warning sign and he has like a private army practically stationed right outside in case anything suspicious starts to happen. Gustavo's demanding as ever. First starts asking questions about what was that green van I saw? Mike's like, we looked into it already. He's a plumber and it's well established. It's been around for a while and starts complaining about the short order cook that Mike set up, who given this conversation seems to be more ex-military or something, but he is not sufficiently good as a short order cook, despite having some experience working at McDonald's when he was in college, but not up to Pollo standards, according to Gustavo. Mike mentions we are stretched out pretty thin. We have men all over this town watching lots of different people working very long hours. And now you want an excellent short order cook as well. But Gustavo wants what he wants. Meanwhile, Jimmy has become a hit. Despite the fact that no one will sit with him at the courthouse, his phone just starts ringing off the hook. He is famous for being Salamanca's lawyer, and everybody wants to give him a retainer just to say, hey, that's the guy I got. He gets kicked out of the nail salon, but now he's got the money to start looking for his own spot. And he finds a place mm, pretty dingy, but he wants to show it to Kim. Kim shows up and she is apprehensive. She is still thinking, I'm sure, about Lalo, about that interaction they had in that condo last year. And she's probably still pretty terrified, but she doesn't mention to Jimmy at all. I guess I should just call him Saul at this point, but she doesn't mention to him at all the whole situation that she met Mike and that Mike thinks that Lalo's alive. Instead, she does her usual, stiffens her upper lip. This is the wind kicked me to the curb. What? Why? <laughs> That's a long story, but upshot is she wants me out of there with extreme prejudice. Bad day, huh? Well, no, it was a great day with actual paying clients. The word is out. People were throwing cash retainers at me just to say Saul Goodman is their lawyer. Because of who you represented? Well, I mean, that's part of it. But um, the bottom line is I need a new place to do business pronto. Now, this place is a shithole. But the price is right, and I think I can talk the landlord into a month to month. So it's temporary, you know, until I find something better. 
hey, what do you think? It's small. It's dirty. And this whole place smells funny. But the courthouse is five blocks away. You can't get to MDC without driving past. Parking is good. Bell Bond Row isn't far. And uh, Taco Cabeza is just around the corner. Might be a diamond in the rough. Just promise me you won't move the toilet. There it is. All right. Maybe a diamond in the rough. And that's where we leave things. So what do I think of all this? I thought this was a solid episode. Not an exceptional episode like last week, obviously. But a good breather. A little bit of a reprieve in the middle of this first batch of episodes where pretty much we're right in the middle of this initial batch of episodes. Three more to go. I guess this is the fourth episode. We have three more before the break. And we are have a pretty solidly entertaining episode here that is providing some connective tissue for things to come in the back half of these episodes. And we have some good comedy here. And we have a little more character development. We see Kim having some, potentially, some second guesses here on what they're doing, the scam they're pulling on in a way, if she's really willing to surrender the version of lawyering that she had striven to, striven, is that a word? To be in the past. And of course she has the threat of Lalo in the back of her mind as well. She sees that suddenly Jimmy has a hot hand because he is affiliated with the Salamancas. And that's a brand that she knows he's not going to shake too easily, but this is what she's opting in for. So it's all crystallizing in her mind, but simultaneously she sees that her pro pro bono work is making her very satisfied. It makes her feel like she is answering to a higher cause and she knows that she's passionate about it and she can raise money even from Cliff. Even when she's just trying to spin her wheels, just trying to buy some time, she's able to make that sales pitch. She's conflicted to say the least. So we get some nice character development there. I'm not sure how understanding this layout of Gustavo's tunnel system is going to pay off later, but I have a feeling that there's something, just a detail in this episode that will be important in an upcoming episode. Maybe the final confrontation with Lalo, potentially. So yeah, I'm happy with this. I enjoyed it. And I am glad we didn't have another heart attack episode like next week. And I'm sure there will be much more exciting episodes to come in the, this last batch before we go to our break. I do not expect to be seeing Walt and Jesse before that summer break, by the way. My prediction. Once again, make sure you Tune in later this week for Moon Knight, the finale, if you have been watching that show. Only one episode to go. Also later this week, check out my Doctor Strange 2 movie review. I haven't watched it yet, so I can't tell you if it's good or bad, but I will be dropping that later in the week, probably Friday, along with a follow-up conversation with my sister again, discussing Shining Girls and the second episode of Barry on HBO. We'll have many other shows I'm still trying to catch up on after getting beaten up by the April schedule. And there's even more things coming in May, but one thing at a time. All right, I hope you find some content to listen to and watch, and I'll talk to you soon.